0: I do want to say uh, uh, I, I noticed that there were very few people that, that came in late today. It's amazing. I was, I was told last week that there's no way you'll be able to teach these people to come on time in one week. And so really, I only noticed one couple that came in late, but they sat in the front row, so they made up for it by uh, in the front row. Oh, serious, serious, serious. I'm not going to say who it was. <clears throat> but uh, if you have a Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 4. We are in a series called The Story of God. Told by a tax collector, and so we 're going to real quick um, recap where we are in the story, and then we 're going to jump into um, today 's message. So th- the Gospel of Matthew, who is Matthew? Well, we know Matthew was one of the disciples. Uh, we also know that Matthew was a former tax collector because he reminds us of that several times within his gospel. Um, we also know that Matthew was one of the only two authors of the gospels that would actually witness the events that they wrote about, the other being John. We know that Matthew is writing, or it's believed that Matthew is writing to the Jewish believers. This was his purpose, to prove to his Jewish audience that Jesus was the anticipated Messiah, that he was the king they were waiting for. Matthew jumps in with the genealogy of Jesus, and again, to proving who Jesus was, and that he came from the right family, that he was the son of Abraham, the son of David, the son of Joseph. And so we also saw Matthew within that genealogy from the very beginning trying to preach the gospel message. Because the genealogy we saw was, is wrought with brokenness. That there were men and women listed within there that were example after example of God's grace and mercy. Matthew then records the birth of Jesus, which we shared during the Advent season. A couple weeks ago we talked about John the Baptist, the crazy cousin of Jesus who comes running out of the desert with the message of repent for the kingdom of God was near. John was calling people to the waters of baptism. John was the last of the Old Testament prophets. It was the Jewish tradition. They had this ritual of washing that they would do as they prepared for the holy days. And so they would practice going into the water, uh, confessing their sins, and then they would come out clean And so John was offering a baptism of repentance. Well, last week we we read where Jesus now comes into the scene, right? He tells John, in order to fulfill all the righteousness, you must baptize me. And John hesitates. He he knows that Jesus was without sin, but he understood that Jesus was coming and bringing something new. And so John baptizes Jesus and and heaven is rended. Where heaven is torn open and the spirit of God descends on, on Jesus, uh, and, Jesus and, and God spoke these words over him. He said, this is my son, this is my beloved, who I am well pleased. And last week we discussed the importance of us just to know how much God loves us. That the words that were spoken over Jesus are the same words that are spoken over you at your baptism. And you and I are the beloved. You and I are named sons and daughters of God. And that your baptism is not one of repentance, although repentance is required. And repentance simply means that you come and recognize that you need a Savior. That you can't fix your brokenness on your own. And your baptism now becomes a public opportunity for God, the God of the universe, to speak the words, beloved over you. And so Jesus comes up out of the water and he heads Right into the wilderness, led by the Holy Spirit. And so this is where we pick up in the story of God, told by a tax collector. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Then the devil took him into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, On the other hand, It is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, go, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. In verse 11, the devil left him and behold, angels came to begin to minister to him. You and I, living here in this western North Carolina, we're surrounded by wilderness, right? My guess is if you're still living here, it's, there's something about the wilderness that, that keeps you here. You're attracted to it. It, it calls to you, right? It, it feels like home to you. Uh, my four-year-old Rio and I, we listen to audio tapes every night before she goes to bed and... Um, I have a, a couple that I like to listen to. They're ones that I listened to it when I was a kid, and I, I found a download version of them online. And one of them is Daniel Boone. It's the story of Daniel Boone and how he was drawn into the wilderness. Um, it has some scary parts into it. So about eight, ten minutes in, she asks us to, to switch to some princess story, which is which is fine. But to me, listen, to me, seven seven uh, creepy dwarf men in woods is, is much scarier than, than Daniel Boone. So she doesn't get that yet. But why, why do we go into the wilderness? You know, why are we drawn into the wilderness? Well, maybe we want to get away, right? We want to be alone, so we go into the wilderness. Maybe it's for sport or to hunt, right? Maybe it's exercise. Um, they have the, the, this year the Smoky Centennial Challenge 100-mile hike. How many people are doing that? I, I know a few of you are. Yeah, don't be ashamed of it. You can raise your hand. My kids want to do it, and we decided as a family that we're okay if one of you wants to take them. And so we're, we're good with it. We're good. We decided. so, But we, we go into the wilderness for, for adventure, right? To rest or, or to relax or, or to get fresh air. Maybe we're led into the wilderness kind of like Jesus was in the story. But ultimately, there's this destination on the other side that we want to end up there, right? We, we have somewhere to go on the other side. How many of you are familiar with Dora the Explorer? Now you raise your hand, yes. and We're not ashamed of Dora, right? I have four kids, so I'm, I'm very well versed in, in Dora the Explorer. Here's the deal, if you're not familiar with it. Every episode, you have this girl who has somewhere to go, right? And she has like a time uh, frame to get there. And so uh, she relies on this map to get her there, right? And the problem is, is this, this map always... I didn't call for it yet. Hold on, you're wrecking my moment. She... Last week, we didn't have the photos. This week, we have them too early. All right. Here. <laughs> Now where was that? All right. So the problem is she has this map that, for some reason, likes likes to lead her through these treacherous places, right? These these risky, dangerous places. And it never makes sense to me why she would choose to go through the wilderness to get where she was going, right? Whether it was Grandma's house or Blueberry Hill or Candy Cove, wherever she wants to go, she's willing to risk, you know, going into the wilderness. But it seemed like she just she loved danger. So let's look at one of her maps. All right, so we got the bridge, okay? She, she has to go over the bridge to get to... It looks like she's going through Chocolate Tree this, this week. Chocolate Tree's up there, and she probably has to bake cookies or brownies. So she needs cocoa leaves and stuff like that. So she's going to head up to uh, the Chocolate Tree. But she has to go over the bridge. Well, listen... If you understand anything about Dora, I personally would rather go through Crocodile Lake than end up going to that bridge where that grumpy old troll is going to pop out and ask me these crazy questions, right? But she loves the grumpy old troll, so she's going to go there. And then she has to go to the woods. And who do you think's in those woods? Swiper, he's in those woods, and he's gonna take something of hers, and he's gonna throw it. And and so, for some reason she has to go there, right? And it's frustrating. Why doesn't Dora just go another way, go around, right? Like you think she would learn a lesson from her cousin Diego and just get the hang glider and fly to Cocoa Chocolate Tree, right? And so, anyways, she goes through a lot. But something about the wilderness it draws Daniel Boone, it draws us, it draws Dora. You can t- take that off now, and into into the wilderness. Personally, I grew up in the suburbs. I'm from up north, and we had a suburb. Wasn't much wilderness around us, or wilderness in how I would imagine wilderness to be, right? I took a couple camping trips when I was a young Royal Ranger. Royal Rangers were the uh, um, Assemblies of God equivalent, the church equivalent to Boy Scouts, right? Um, I was kicked out when I was a tween. Um, We didn't get along, but now, hey, I am a den leader for the Boy Scouts. So justice has prevailed, and we're going to have fun in that den but when I went to college, um, I came back from one of my breaks, and three of my friends and I decided we were going to brave the wilderness that is Canada. And so we headed up to Algonquin Park, which is about eight hours north into Ontario from, from where I was from. And uh, we stopped to have breakfast just before we entered the park, and, and the placemat for the uh, restaurant was a map of the park. And so we were like, hey, where do we want to stay? There's tons of places to stay within this this park. And so we chose uh, Opiango Lake. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of this, but it's a big lake. It's on the northwest side of the park. And from there, we chose Bates Island. It had a few camping um, spots there, so we chose that island to, uh, to go. And so when you get to the store at, the, at, the, at that lake, you get into a boat, and they go, and they drop you off. We brought a canoe with us, but we had a lot of stuff to carry, so we took the, the taxi boat with us. So we headed out there. Again, all four of us from from the suburbs, not real familiar with camping. And so, one of the, it was it was kind of a cloud covery week while we were there, and a lot of, you know rain on and off. And um, on the lake, there wasn't really good fishing there from the shores. And so we decided that we were going to um, canoe back to the to the dock and then head into um, one of the uh, lake or one of the river areas there and go fishing in the rivers. And so we did that. We left you know right around lunch and went for the day to go fishing. So. We get to the point where we fish all the way afternoon, evening, and it's starting to get dark. So we and it's starting the rain starting to come, and so we head back to the dock to then get in our canoe again and head back to our camping. The only thing is, is it's it's pitch black and there's cloud everywhere, so there's no moon, there's absolutely zero light, and it's about to, to rain, and so we have to get we we weren't the smartest and we didn't take flashlights with us, and so now we're at this this dock and we just we're looking out into this massive lake and see nothing. But waves and rain's coming in and we got four of us have to go into this canoe and, and just head out there. So I decided that I would stay back in the van and keep the lights on so they would give them a point of reference where to go. And so we did that. They, three of them jump into the canoe and they, they head out into the darkness and uh, into the wilderness. And, uh, and then about an hour and a half later, I see this faint little light. Kind of coming back, you know, and it's one of the guys with a headlamp, and he comes back to pick me up and take me back. So it was, it was, it, it was all right. But, but I want to flash back a little part of my story and tell you why Bates Island was uh, significant to the story. Um, when we got to the um, store there at the at the dock, we they said, "Well, where do you want to camp on the on the lake?" And we said Bates Island, and they kind of looked at each other, well, you know, like like weird, and they're like, "You you've never been here, have you?" And I'm like, "No, no," but it looks like we want to go. And they're like, "All right, you want to go? You go to go." You know what? bear bags are, right? You have a bear bag. And we said, no, we're not hunting any bears. We're not, we don't need bags for, for the bears. We're just going to go. And they said, no, you have to put your food in, in a bear bag and pull it up, you know, and, and, and so we had come with a bunch of cans and stuff like that, and they said there's no cans or glass or anything allowed in the park, so you got to, we had to buy Ziploc bags and open all, all our food and put it in Ziploc bags and take it there, and we bought a bear bag, or we said we were going to, and anyways, we went out there, we were like, we're going to take this, and I've only seen a bear in the zoo. I grew up in Toledo, there was a big zoo a lot of bears and so those that's my that's my reference point for a bear so we don't ever think about like going outside and like running into one of them because they're usually in cages so i didn't know much about bears um so anyways we get um to the island uh well again in the backflash we we were told um that in 1991 um two two uh campers were were eaten by bears now eaten you know is not a normal thing for bears to do but these actually these bears it was they took two campers and um five days later they came back to find the campers and the the bear had actually ate most of them and was guarding them which is not a normal behavior for bears and so we have this story in our heads and we're headed out to this bates island um and have this this moment and very very afraid very you guys seen uncle buck the bald-headed bear, like, this isn't my mind. I'm going, we're going to go get chased by this bear out there. So, again, we're, we're there, and there's this moment where we, the fishing's not good, and we have this little uh, map here that says that there's, like, this little lake or reservoir within the middle of this island, this small pond, and we're going to go fish that. And so we head off into the, walking into this island, um, knowing that, you know, um, there's bears in this island. So we're going, and we're headed there, and it starts to get dark, and it starts to rain. And it was like Scooby-Doo, where every branch that fell, we were jumping into the arms of each other. Now, I, I'm, 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 I, I'm not very proud of this moment as, as as four grown men, you know, being as afraid as we were. I'm glad you're here so I can share the story with you. But it was it was a crazy moment of every dark rock, every branch, every tree that was fallen was a bare den for us. And so we, we were quite afraid. So anyways, that was a... a bad moment for me in the wilderness. You guys probably have cooler moments of being in the wilderness and things happening to you. I'm from the north in the small suburbs. You guys are, you know, wilderness people, right? So, I'm going to give you a chance to share a story. So, take a minute and maybe you got some crazy camp story, maybe you got something that happened to you in the wild or wilderness that you want to share with them each other. At least share your name and like get to know someone right next to you, but maybe one of you have a story of something that crazy that went on in the wilderness. Share and then we'll come back. No, we didn't see a bear? No, I didn't see a bear. My eyes were closed. I didn't see a bear. See a bear. Share a story. Okay, hopefully uh, hopefully one or two of you had a chance to share. Your stories are probably much cooler than mine. Um, here's the thing, though. Every, every summer, of the last three years, um, some of you know the group from Canada that comes down here, uh, Madiba, that comes down and they work with us in the April. They'll be down here in a, in a, in a few weeks. Their camp is actually located just miles outside the park. So every summer I get to go back. It's part of my therapy um, to go back and revisit, revisit the park. Um, it was an intense moment. So anyways, I believe that we probably all have had wilderness experiences, right? Maybe not involving woods or, or bears. But I bet all of us have had somewhat of a similar experience that Jesus had when he went into the wilderness. You see, we're just a few days into the season of Lent. For those of you that don't know, Lent is the 40 days symbolizing the days that Jesus spent in the wilderness. Um, The 40 days leading up to Easter, uh, excluding Sunday. Some practice 46 days and they take Sundays off and some just go 40 days um, forward. And that's the season of prayer and reflection. And it starts um, tomorrow, would be 40 days until the Saturday before Easter. 40 is a theme throughout scripture. You have Noah in his 40 days of reign. You have um, the people of God who spent 40 years wandering in the, in the wilderness looking for the promised land. You have the story of Elijah spending 40 days um, uh, going on this journey to the mountain of God to hear the voice of God. Uh, Goliath came down 40 days in a row, day and night, coming down to challenge the Israelites to a fight. And here we got 40 days in the wilderness with Jesus Traditionally, people, they choose to fast something for the 40 days, right? And I would encourage you to to do the same. In the past, we've offered calendars that kind of help you with different things to fast or to add per day. Um, This year, simply, it's a call to give up something um, until Easter. Because for some reason, you and I, we do everything we can to find replacements for God in our lives, and the things that we use to fill the void, they become pacifiers in the wilderness, right? We, we use them to replace God's voice with what the culture offers us. But if you were to participate in Lent in that fast, you'll be, you'll be tested. Your control will be tested. When you give up things like sugar or coffee or gossip, right? You'll go 40 days without the benefit or comfort or crutches that we use these artificial fillers, and you will begin to experience temptation. And the Holy Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted. Well, Why does he do that? Do you have a Bible? Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. I'm going to read a couple verses. They will not be on the screen behind me, so you'll have to listen up. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 18. It says, Because he himself suffered when he was tempted he is able to help those who are being tempted so jesus is led out into the wilderness to help us when we are tempted verse uh, chapter 4 verse 15 it says for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are yet he did not sin and so he has it. The reason he goes out there so he could sympathize with us in our weakness that he was tempted in every way that we'll face. And then chapter five verse eight, uh, it says, "He was the okay." Though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And so in his obedience, Jesus was made perfect. And so that's why he was led out into the wilderness because the wilderness is a difficult place to be. But it is where we need to go sometimes for God to do the work he needs to do. You see, J- Jesus, he comes to earth. He takes on our humanity. He did not identify himself as this king bringing judgment. Instead, he identified himself with people who were facing judgment. And he suffered in our place. And the prophet spoke of a king that was coming and that would establish his kingdom. And that the how he did it was what mattered how Jesus would do the things that he would do would reveal much to us because he was bringing in the kingdom but in a totally different way. And so I want to look at this experience in the wilderness Jesus had and the temptations he faced. So first, the first temptation was a temptation to be relevant. It said in verse 2, And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. Has anyone ever fasted for 40 days? Anyone? Anyone? none of us so this is all new to us right fasting is hard see i gotta be honest i don't miss many meals right um i'm working on that but 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 it's, i don't like to not eat if i have a chance right and so uh how long does it take some of you before you become hangry right is it you know if you miss one meal hangry one meal like if if you miss breakfast who have missed breakfast uh, You know, right? If lunch is 20 minutes Late, who would say, I'm, I'm hangry? Yes, oh, we have an honest crowd here. We're working on honesty here. Um, how about if you hadn't had your coffee yet? You're, you're hangry, yeah, yes. We know what you need to fast now for Lent, right? Okay, all those that raise their hands. But there, here's the, let me go over this real quick. I learned this this week, stages of a fast. Stage one is day one and two, right? Your blood sugar drops, headaches, dizziness, uh, nausea. Um, uh, hunger is the most intense in this period, Stage two is days three to seven. Your body begins to break down the fatty acids. Your hunger starts to fade. Your digestive system begins to rest while the body begins to focus on detox and healing. Stage three is days eight to 15. Your body is on a self-healing kick. It seeks out any dead or damaged tissues. Old pains and injuries you may have had begin to be felt again. Muscles become tight and sore and it's most noticed in the legs. Stage four is days 16 to 30. Your body has now adapted to the fasting process, more energy and clarity of mind. Stage five is day 30 and beyond, and your natural hunger returns. It says the primary indication that a fast is to be broken is your return of of being hungry. And so when it says that after 40 days uh, and 40 nights, he became hungry, at that point, Jesus knew it it was time to break the fast. And this is when Satan attacks You know, our stomachs are empty. Uh, We're driving home from soccer the other day um, from Franklin. My kids are like, we're starving, right? You know, and there's this emptiness we feel when we go without. But it's not always food. You and I, we have this fear of emptiness in our lives. And we always want to feel it. We want to feel it. We want to be busy at any time we can. We want to be occupied every minute of the day. And when we're not occupied, we, we, we want to be uh, preoccupied, right? And what is preoccupied? That means we're worrying uh, about the things we haven't done yet or have to do. And so we're either doing them or we're worried about doing them. And so uh, to be in relationship with God, we need to be able to create space to hear his voice. Last week we took communion and I said, when you come to take communion, come alone. Because God wants to remind each one of you individually that you are the beloved. The discipline of communion is creating space where you can hear God speaking. And so you and I, we have to create some open space. We have to create empty space. So God can tell you that he loves you, that he can be with you because that's what he wants to do. Have you ever spent like 10 minutes doing absolutely nothing, right? Just sitting there in silence? It would probably drive some of you crazy, right? Because your life is fueled by chaos. You're worried about what you need to do uh, and to do these things that you should have done. And so you can't even sit for a few minutes alone. And I said last week that the issue is not that you don't love God. It's that you and I, we don't know how much God loves us. Because you can't quiet down long enough to hear him. That voice that speaks over you and says, you are my beloved. You and I need to spend time with God so that you can be filled up on the words coming from the mouth of God. That You are my beloved, that I am pleased with you. That's the voice you need to be reminded of in the wilderness. And when you go to that job that you don't want to be at or that home that is chaos or that relationship that is broken. See, Jesus had gone without food for 40 days And so the pressing concern in that moment to be relevant was, what am I going to eat? What do I need now? And the enemy knew where to attack. Jesus was vulnerable. And scripture says that he was famished. He He was hungry. It was time to break the fast. And the enemy says to Jesus, I want you to prove that you're the son of God by this relevant behavior of changing stones into bread the enemy offers a quick fix, a shortcut, an easy way out. And here's the deal, that bread bread was not the issue. It was not a sin for him to break the fast. He was hungry, it was time. But Jesus knew it was the Spirit that led him into the wilderness, and that it would be the Spirit that would lead him out. And it was an act of obedience. And he says that man man cannot just live on the bread alone, but he lives on the Word of God. And what was the word of God? What proved that he was the son of God? The words God spoke over him just at his baptism. The words that he speaks over you and I at our baptism. Beloved sons and daughters of God. See, Jesus trusted his father for everything he needed. And you and I, we often lack. We lack trust and we question God's provisions for us. Trusting God has been an issue since the beginning. If you remember the story uh, in the garden and Adam and Eve, and they're, they're hanging out with God and he's giving them what they need and they're walking in the cool of day, hand in hand with God in this tight relationship. But this moment they found themselves alone and they were tempted. The enemy came and, and it's in, found in Genesis chapter 1. And I'm going to read real quick with this interaction they have, the enemy has with, with Adam and Eve. chapter 3 starting in verse 1 says now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the lord god made and he said to the woman and this is where 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 he kind of twists the words of god and he tries to tries to 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 throw a a curveball here at adam and eve Said, did god really say that you must not eat from any tree in the garden and the woman said to the serpent well, we, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from that one tree in the middle or you must not touch it or you will die. And the serpent replies, you will certainly die? Is that what God told you? For God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good and for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom... She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Many of us have that story twisted around where we think Eve was on her own, and she was deceived, and she went back, and she deceived Adam, when, in fact, Adam was there the whole time listening, where he failed to lead in that moment, and they both sinned. But how much do we trust God for what we need? How much much trust do we have for his provision? Do we want God just to, do we want to just be in in the relevant moment and get our needs now and get things that we need fixed now instead of trusting what God had spoken over you, that you are beloved? The second temptation he faces is this temptation to be amazing, right? Verse 5, the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and he said, if you are the son of God throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up. Satan looks to Jesus and he says, jump. Go ahead and jump, right? If you want to be king, if you want everyone to love you, jump and we'll watch the angels catch you. It'll be the coolest, Jesus, right? This is way beyond card tricks, way beyond turning stones into bread. That's Old Testament stuff. We're moving on. If you want everyone to believe you're God, jump jesus and it's the temptation to do something to be known for something have any of you ever done a trust fall before anyone want to volunteer for a trust fall up here no good because all right the trust falls if you don't know they're a big team uh building exercises right and this is like the biggest trust fall ever right he took jesus to the highest point of the tumble said you know just close your eyes and fall back they're gonna we're gonna catch you right um, I, I Googled or I YouTubed Trust Fall Fails this, this this week. Very funny, not appropriate for the service, so I didn't bring the video, but it, it's funny. But this is like the story of, of religion, right? Where we set up a bunch of rules and hoops to jump through and, and, and so we can uh, do something to save ourselves. We want to be known for something. We want to do it. Let's dress up for church and we want to look good. People won't know how broken I am in this suit, right? The problem is, is that when we fail... The church leaves us laying there broken, right? On the ground. The challenge for you and I is to follow God when no one is looking. Do it and not post it on Instagram or Facebook for all to see. It's in the simple, the ordinary things that we go through each day. The day-to-day call to be faithful in your marriage. No one sees that, right? The day-to-day call to that boss who is a jerk. The day-to-day call to that job you hate or the commitments you've made. We follow Jesus in the ordinary. The dishes, the diapers, the trash, the baths, football practice, homework. Whatever we do day-to-day, Jesus came in the ordinary as a homeless carpenter. Jewish dude, right? He didn't come bringing war. But the spirit descended on him like a dove and he came riding on a donkey. Jesus refused to entertain and to be the magician. He was simply going to love ordinary people, people who were marginalized. And that's what we're called to do. The third temptation was that of power. Verse eight, again, the devil took him on a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you, If you fall down and worship me. How was Jesus going to bring in the kingdom? John was like, repent for the kingdom is near. Get ready. Jesus is coming. And so everyone expected, including John, that Jesus was coming with power, right? Power is an easy substitute for the hard task of loving God and loving others. It's easier to be God than to love God. It's easier to control people than to love people. It's easier to, 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 to own life than to love life. Jesus asks Peter three times, do you love me, Peter? Do you love me? If you do, feed my sheep. He asks him that three times. And he says, Peter, this is the guy I'm gonna build my church on. Do you love me? He says, the sheep, they know my voice because I'm in relationship with them. Because I love them. I I know them and they know me. But as a church, we seem we're more worried about power and control these days. We ask questions like, hey, Jesus, which side will I sit next to you in your kingdom? Same questions the disciple asked. We want position in this kingdom. We have to get the best Christian candidate in office, right? We have to, that's, that's how we'll establish the kingdom of God. We want power and control. This is a Christian nation. We must protect it. Well, Jesus came saying, if you have two coats, give one to someone without. If someone sins against you, forgive them 490 times. If someone strikes you on the cheek, turn to them the other. Sell all your possessions and give it to the poor. The first must be last. I came not to serve, but to not to be served, but to serve. True religion is caring for widows and orphans. Jesus said, love your enemies. And it began in the garden when we exchanged the love of God for power because we wanted to be like God because love makes us vulnerable because it opens us up to rejection and hurt. And it was in that vulnerability where Jesus gave his life for you and I. What makes this this temptation real for me is Satan had the power to give what he was offering. This was a legit offer for Jesus. Satan owned that. He was giving him that. But why would Jesus be tempted by this? After all, he's God, right? He had the power already. Why would Satan think that this would work? Because Satan knew the end of the story. And he knew what Christ would have to go through to get there. And he offers him a shortcut, an easy way out. You see, in this moment, Jesus was given the opportunity to pass up the cross. No cross, no thorns, and people will still follow you, they'll still worship you. You don't have to die on a cross, Jesus. You won't have to go through the rejection and the abandonment by all your so called friends. verse 10, Jesus said to him, Go, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and began to minister to him. I want to invite the the band to join me on stage. You and I We will face these temptations. But you have to understand it's not what you do, this desire to be relevant in the moment. It's not what people say about you, this desire to be amazing. It's not what you have, this desire to have power. Jesus says, it's what I've already done. It's what I say about you. And the fact that you have me. And it's in that place where we live. We enter into the wilderness and we come out the other side faithful. Jesus comes up out of the water and he goes into the wilderness. And from there he goes immediately into community. Next week, that's where we're going to pick up that story. But the challenge for you today is to brave the wilderness. And to be able to be faithful to God. I've asked the band to play a song, but we're going to show a video first. And we said that uh, last week, you know, February is Black History Month. And we recognize people that have made significant impact on our society. And I want you to briefly hear the words, the last words that Martin Luther King spoke before he was murdered. Because at the end of the day, he too knew his mission, that his mission would ultimately cost him his life. But he stayed faithful to it. That it wasn't what people said about him. It wasn't the power he could achieve. It wasn't the relevant moment. But it was knowing that God had called him to love others. And to go about it in a, in a different way. So as you listen to these words, I want you to hear them. And I want you to let them speak to you. And I'm going to come up and we'll, 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 we'll pray and close again. But I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. So I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. My eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord.